Hey, while we take our offering this morning, we have a middle school group that meets during this time, and I think maybe they've already taken off, but if, if you missed that, you can head out these doors and, and meet up with our, our middle school intern and our middle school students. Hey, Jake Schwab is our middle school intern, and uh, he's done with school for the year, and uh, he's going to be with us all summer long, and so take an opportunity, take a chance to get to know him, take him out to lunch, he's hungry, uh, invite him over to your house some night for dinner and, and just get to know him a little bit better. Jake will be here after the services today if you haven't met him yet. I'd love to introduce you to him. Hey, it's great to be back with you. I, you may not have known that I was gone, and that's a good thing, I guess, but uh, I was able to get away this week for a pastor's retreat, a little rest and relaxation and some additional training, and, and it was a great time just to be in fellowship with some other pastors, and uh, we were down in southern Indiana for the week, and then uh, I was able to spend some time in Louisville, and, and maybe you realize this or not, but before uh, my wife and I came here to Genesis, we were at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and so I was able to go and have lunch one day with some of, my, uh, some of my friends and staff members uh, at Southeast, and it was great to just spend time with them. I hadn't seen most of them since having left, but I, but I have to tell you this, that on my way back on Thursday afternoon, there was just this anticipation in me, just this excitement to get back, and, and I know that I speak for my wife and I when I say we just love being a part of this community with you guys, and, and uh, really just feel like this is where God wants us and has called us to, and it's just great to be a part of this Genesis family. I uh, hope that you feel the same way, and uh, we look forward to getting to know uh, getting to know all of you and hope that you guys can get to know each other too. Uh, over the last four weeks, or maybe it seemed like six months to you, we've been doing this series called Love Affair. And uh, we believe, I believe that, that, this, that God has designed marriage to be this love affair between a husband and a wife. And it can be this beautiful, wonderful thing if you're willing to work at it, but it can also be very challenging and can be very difficult and be very hard. And while one day you can be skating along all of a sudden with a phone call, uh, life can change and all of a sudden marriage is up in the air and, and, and then you're forced to face some, some pretty difficult or some challenging issues. But, but my hope is that through this series, the one thing that you've heard is that it can be good. Uh, that your marriage can be a great thing. And if you're willing to invite God to be a part of that, if you're willing to take responsibility for who you are in your marriage, because marriage isn't about lucking out. It isn't about just, you know, having found the right person and, and somehow you're lucky and other people aren't lucky. You know, mar marriage is about being the right person. It's about being the right person in your marriage. And, and that's uh, what I hope the message is that you've heard uh, even over these last weeks. But, but I thought it'd be kind of fun this morning to kind of wrap up our series a little differently. And, and, and that's what I met Dr. Tim Gardner. And, and Tim's here with us this morning. Tim is a, a professional counselor, a licensed counselor, a popular conference speaker. He's, a, he's been a writer. He's written several books books, uh, Save Your Marriage, a book entitled The Naked Soul, this book entitled Sacred Sex, and of course my wife makes fun of me because she says, oh, of course you bought the one with the S-E-X word in the title, but uh, we, I'm really thankful to have him here today, and he and I are just going to dialogue for a little bit and just ask him some questions, and so if you would, would you please join me in welcoming Tim Gardner uh, here with us today. Hi, Tim. Good, good choice on the yeah. book, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's my favorite one, too. Tim, you've been uh, here in Hamilton County for a while now, a family man. Tell us a little bit about your family and, and how long you've been here in Hamilton County. We uh, moved from Texas almost 20 years ago now. Uh, my, uh, my lovely bride of almost 21 years, just in, in the mail this week, got her induction into the Wife Hall of Fame papers uh, for putting up with me for all of those years. Uh, she's actually here on the front row with my, the princess of the family, our 12-year-old daughter. Uh, I have a, that's actually the second row, I can count. Uh, we have an 18-year-old boy who's about to graduate from Westfield High School and a 16-year-old boy who, as of yesterday, can drive with friends in the car, so please pray <laughs> diligently for us. 
Um, and then um, there's Grace right there, and that's kind of our, our family. We moved up here uh, with Young Life. I owe a lot to the, God, the ministry of Young Life and how God used it. He used it to introduce me to uh, Christ when I was a 15-year-old in high school and used it to uh, introduce me to my wife when I was 27. And so I used to be on staff with Young Life many moons ago, so... Uh, now, your wife's actually the expert behind all this and gives yeah, you permission to absolutely. say what you she say. Is, uh, she's the editor-in-chief of anything I, I say and do, and that's a good thing because left unrestrained, I'm dangerous. So that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. So, yeah, she's a, she's a wonderful ministry partner. We, uh, we love, uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about in our time here today, one of the uh, best things you can do for your marriage is have something to invest your marriage in outside of your, uh, the walls of your home. And it creates this thing we call shared meaning and, and uh, that adds that extra purpose to your uh, kind of a marital mission, if you will. And, and uh, over most of our years, we've been blessed to be involved in ministry, either with kids for a long time with Young Life and now uh, in marriage ministry. So she's a great partner and that goes, gets to speak with me going to a lot of places and uh, all of that kind of good stuff. So. Now, I'm noticing that you wore cowboy, to Absolutely. cowboy boots. Did you ride in on a horse this yeah, morning? That's, uh, if yeah, I, if they would let me, yeah. I would have, or I've had to left, leave at six this morning. Uh, now, I, again, I grew up in Texas. My dad was a farmer. And these are like house shoes to me. So that's, uh, 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 I, but, but, I, but I have to order them online because around here you pay about twice as much. So <laughs> you can order from and save a lot more. Well, you can pull yeah. them off. Thank you. I mean, you're styling and profiling in them. So I've been, I, I I've like been, uh, ju- just for you, I polished them last night. Awesome. Just <laughs> well, go. we're talking about marriage. It's obvious. And uh, we've, we've been talking about marriage for the last four weeks. Uh, my wife and I have been married for over 10 years now, coming up on 11 years. And one of the things that we learned, especially early on, is that marriage is not easy. It's, it's difficult. It's challenging. It's something that you have to work at, and uh, it's not something that you just fall into. Why is it that marriage is hard? One of my uh, favorite phrases about marriage, which applies to so many things, is it's not complicated, but it is difficult. Uh, that applies to so many things in our life. You know, financial management really isn't that complicated. I mean, if you go start investing in derivatives or all types of stuff that I don't understand, it can get that way. But, but simply spend less than you make. Uh, give 10% to God. That's not really that complicated, but it's obviously difficult for, for many of us to do. Uh, marriage is not complicated, but it is difficult because the, uh, for the simple reason, at least in, in my marriage, is because I'm in it. Yet, you know, marriage is difficult because there are people in it. If there weren't people, it would be a whole lot easier. Uh, because people are inherently, since the uh, Garden of Eden, selfish. Uh, we, I mean, think about it. James asks the rhetorical question in the New Testament book of James. He asks the rhetorical question, what is the source of fighting among you? And then he answers it. Is it not that you do not get what you want? Well, duh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we argue, think of the last fight you had with your spouse. One of you wanted A, one of you wanted B. There it is. So, so therein lies the, uh, the struggle in marriage is that there are two people in it who have two individual personalities and wants and desires, and uh, we argue. We, we argue, and, and we are selfish, and we can get, you know, uh, kind of our heels dug in, and, you know, I want what's best and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, so, so the initial struggle in marriage is realizing that this really is about two people, and even understanding God's model, which we'll get into here as we talk, that, you know, in God's model, it really is my spouse first. It really is me learning to serve and love and, and, and give concessions. Uh, but that's the beauty of it. That's how it really is supposed to work. So, so you know, it, it, it's difficult. I think it's also difficult because we have, this, we have this societal myth 
that if you have to work at love, it's not really love. And let me just say right now, that's stupid, okay? As blunt as I can say, that belief is just wrong-headed. Uh, we, we think, oh, God, we, we've fallen out of love, or if you have to work at it, it can't be love. That's just, that's just silly. It's Platonian nonsense. Uh, and by that, I mean Plato was the one who came up with this silly idea of being soulmates. Uh, and he literally believed that up in the cosmos, you were uh, one being, and you split into two souls and descended upon this earth. And now it's your job to go find the other half of your soul, so to speak. And, uh, and that's even caught on so much where I've heard people get divorced because they weren't married to their soulmate, but now they really found their soulmate. You know, they were sitting in the next cubicle at the office all the time. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, you know, the whole idea of having to work at it, and that's, just, that's like saying you don't have to work at keeping your house clean or you don't have to work at keeping your yard organized. You've got to work at your marriage. Uh, and in doing that, you can keep this passionate piece alive. So, so, you know, again, bottom line, marriage is hard because there are people in it. Uh, but by God's grace, we can, we can get past that. Uh, it's interesting you talk about that soulmate thing because yep. I, I think it's, it's easy to think that sometimes. That, you know, if I find my soulmate or if a marriage is good, well, they lucked out. Right. They found each other, and so it just kind of happens. But it, it's really about working together. Now, um, you, you meet with couples. You meet with husbands and wives all the time. And, and I, I've read some of the stats, and part of the reason why you're here today is correct anything that I've said wrong over the last weeks. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce or 80% uh, of all couples will experience some sort of affair. Talk to us about what you're seeing, you know, percentage-wise, statistics-wise in marriage, good and bad. The, uh, uh, first of all, the 80% will experience some kind of affair is, again, one of those silly, stupid statistics that somebody came up with something and said, that's, you know, there's a statistic. It's, 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 it's nowhere near that high, and it's one of those statistics that's hard I'm to really sorry, figure I'm out. Sorry because you, uh, it, 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 it's one of those things that's really kind of hard to figure out because, you know, people don't report that on their census. Yeah, I had an affair last year. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that people argue about. Uh, and the same thing with, with, with the marriage stats. I mean, there was... Some big thing came out last year that the divorce rate is really only like, you know, 1.5%. Well, again, uh, uh, lack of demographers in the world. Uh, the, the marriage has been, as far as a, it was a couple of things. Statistically, 75 to 80, 1975 to 80 was the height of, of, of divorces. If you got married during that time frame, or at least going through that time frame, I, I should say, uh, five out of 10 marriages ended in divorce. Five, five out of 10 first-time marriages. Since 81, it slowly declined where we're now to four out of 10 first-time marriages. If you add in second marriages and third marriage, that's where we still get the fairly accurate 50% divorce rate. That does not mean 50% of all marriages are breaking up every year, uh, but that, that's, that's statistically where, where we are. Um, so, you know, understanding those pieces are, 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 are important because it helps us uh, know things. A couple of other very important demographic points apart, points <laughs> that have affect this whole landscape of marriage. Over the last decade and a half, we've seen the percentage of people living together increase by over 100%. Actually, we've seen it increase by 1,000%. Uh, and, and there's a couple of important pieces in that. Now, first of all, I, I, I don't condemn or point out or anything else as far as people that choose to live together because I understand why they've done it. Because my generation has created that desire. Because my generation, putting them through the five out of 10 divorces, uh, and these kids have seen the impact of divorce on their own lives, and they're going, I don't want that. I want to avoid that. So they incorrectly believe that if we live together first and get along for a little while, our chances of divorce go down. In reality, if you live together before you get married, your chances of divorce are now 75%. Uh, 
because married, living together and getting along for a little while is not the formula for having marriage work. So, so we have people delaying marriage uh, to a later date. We have people living together first. They think that's okay. And, and even, I, I think even more damaging to the landscape is my kids are seeing a completely different phenomenon uh, than anybody ha- has seen in, you know, forever. And that's that, it's a, that marriage is not necessary for kids. Uh, think of the heroes of this generation, be it Tom Brady, be it Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, be it, you know, pick your, pick your music star, rock star, sports star, David Letterman, having kids out of marriage, like it's just no big deal. And so we've, we've come to see marriage is not being required for this. And, and, and that's very, very, very dangerous as we'll get into here, I think a little bit more as well. So those are some of the landscapes that we've seen. Marriage is not necessary anymore. Uh, you know, for doing a lot of the things that, uh, that, that we need. So, so that makes this whole idea of needing to work at marriage even harder to get across. Because people think, well, when you finally do get married, then it should just be easy and, and we don't have to work at it and, you know, things are great and wonderful. Uh, you know, it, another factor that our culture deals with is, again, I, I grew up, as many of you did, where we had four channels and you had to give, get up to change the channel, Right. Uh, you had the three networks and PBS, and Dad said, "Hey, boy, go change the channel." And that's I was the remote control, uh, and uh, and adjust that antenna until it comes in just right. Well, you know, now we live in this age where I don't even know how many channels are on our TV, uh, but we are training a generation that if you don't like something, you just click it a couple of times and go to something else. Well, I don't mean to make light of that. We are, you know, with this generation, you go into Verizon and you have 200 phones to pick from. Uh, that mentality has led us to this, well, if I don't like my spouse anymore, I can go pick another one. Uh, you know, the psychologically, it, that the multiple choices has made us realize, oh, we don't need to work at this. So, so those are some of the demographics that kind of play into this dangerous piece of seeing marriage as obsolete, unnecessary. If I don't like it, I can, I can just go change my spouse. One of the things that you talked about or we talked about even together is that marriage is like a garden uh, and that you have to cultivate it and you have to work at it. Uh, talk a little bit about that. You know, it, it, for those of you uh, um, anal retentive neat freak types in the room, uh, uh, and that's okay, uh, it, it, if I walked into your house and your, everything was you know, put away and vacuumed and folded and pillows are nicely fluffed on the couches, you know, and, and I walked in and said, you know, Mary, no offense to the Marys, Mary, uh, it, you are so lucky to live in such a neat organized house. You know, you'd look at me like I was just nuts. You'd sit there going, lucky, we have been busting our tail to get this house organized. Uh, kind of same thing, if, if, you have a, if you're a, a gardener and have a beautiful flower garden, if I walked in, you, you are so lucky to have such a great-looking yard. You'd say, I was nuts. Well, think of, it's the same thing with marriage. We see people that have been happily married 20, 25, 30 years and go, oh, you are so lucky. Like we just, luck has nothing to do with it. If you see somebody who, who, who's not just married after 20, 25 years, but is happily married, holds hands, likes being together, uh, They've worked at it. You know, my wife and I have a very real marriage. We fight and argue and disagree and, uh, you know, frequently. Uh, uh, you ask, <laughs> ask my daughter. Uh, but but, but it, it, as we'll get into it in a minute, too, it's how we treat each other in the midst of that that's so important. So, so we've got to change that piece as well. Marriage takes some work, but, but that that's a good thing. And that we can act our way back into love. We can act our way back into passion. Uh, the biggest problem in marriage that, that besides being selfish and people are in it is we simply neglect it. Again, think, you know, quit cleaning your house for three months and what does it look like? Quit mowing your yard for three months and, you know, the fire department's showing up at your door. Uh, you know, neglect your marriage for a couple of years and it's no surprise that we're having difficulty. We're having difficulty. 
what, what have you experienced in your own marriage or, or seen in other couples? I mean, when you think about a healthy or a thriving marriage, I mean, what habits or practices uh, are, are usually a part of that marriage that, that make it healthy, that make it good, that make it enjoyable? Um, you know, I, I was speaking somewhere a while back, and I just kind of made the off-handed joke about, well, you know, the secret to my marriage is I do what I'm told, and I get that kind of jokingly. <laughs> well, I got railed by a guy afterwards for like, uh, you know, like, you know, what are you, a wimp, and I've heard that before, and he was just really kind of, you know, going to task, like I, I don't know what I did to him, but... <laughs> What I meant by that was that uh, I realized that I, I, I don't do what I've told, but I work to keep the peace in my marriage. There's a great verse out of Romans where Paul says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. So I have to do my part in keeping the peace. I have to realize that I have a role in this. I have to realize that, that uh, you know, I, I'm connected to this. So one of the things I think that, that we all do, uh, that my wife and I both do is just we constantly are asking our question, okay, what's my part in this? What's my role in this? What can I do to fix this? Uh, from a habit standpoint, there are just some very important pieces. Uh, you know, from, a, from an activity standpoint, you know, my wife and I still go out at least once a week uh, on a date night uh, without children, uh, and we look at our children and say, I'm going out with you because I can. Uh, and uh, so and my daughter still wants, you know, we actually took her with us last night, so don't count on that next time. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, you know, we go out regularly. We, you know, at least once a year we go away by ourselves for a weekend, a few days, just to get away, constantly talking. Uh, we, as I said a while ago, we invest our marriage in, in other things, other activities together, things we enjoy doing together. Um, there's just some general commitments to the overall upkeep of, of, of the marriage. You know, every once in a while you'll see somebody who's actually, you know, has a long-term Hollywood marriage, like, you know, nine or ten months. And, uh, and, you know, they'll, they'll be on letter money. What's your secret? Oh, we vowed to never go to bed angry. Well, that's just silly. Because uh, that, that just means you fight angry. Yeah, that's all that means. Is one of you finally gives up and says, okay, you win. Shut up. I'm going to sleep. Uh, and that, that, that doesn't help at all. Uh, but you know, our commitment is not to never go to bed angry. Our commitment is to resolve our conflicts quickly. You know, to, to, to not let, you know, because there are nights you kind of go, you know what? I really don't want to talk anymore, so let's pick this up tomorrow. But we pick it up tomorrow, and, we, and a lot of times just a good night's sleep kind of go, you know what? That was stupid. I was even fighting about that last night. So just those, 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 those hedges that are just so important to keeping marriage uh, excited. And again, there should be multiple hedges. You know, there's not just don't sleep with somebody else hedge. There's a lot of hedges involved in that marriage as far as how I, uh, what I look at, what I watch, how, who I talk with, how I talk with them, and, and, and so forth. But again, it, folks, it, it, it's weeding the garden, pruning the garden, watering the garden, fertilizing the garden, uh, taking care of the garden, mulching the garden. Whoever came up with that idea of mulch is silly. We were talking about that with the neighbor last night. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> uh, but just, you know, it's just taking care of it. It's just, it's being nice. It's the, it's the little investment in, in the marriage every day. Let me give you one other statistic. Um, we know from research that it takes five, if not as many as 25, positive interactions in a relationship for every one negative just to keep the relationship even. Let me say that again. It takes five positive interactions between a husband and a wife for every one negative just to keep the relationship even. It's what we call relational equity. You know, it's not like the bank where a dollar in and a dollar out, or, or today's economy, a dollar in and 25 cents out. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's the idea that, that if I want a good return on my marriage, I've got to in, invest in it. And when the negative and the struggle and the selfishness and the fight comes along, if I've got all these po five positives, which are things like bringing my wife a cup of coffee in the morning, calling during the day just to say hi, sending an email, sending a text, cleaning up the kitchen, cleaning up the dishes, saying let's go out to dinner, taking the kids, you know, washing the clothes, uh, you know, whatever it might be, positive investments. Then when a fight comes along, my relationship can take it. It's a ding, but it's not, I'm not overdrawn. Uh, 
So, so it, you know, Chuck Swindoll once said that the problem with life is it's so daily. Well, that, that's the struggle with marriage. It's daily. And I get up daily to, to make those things, mm. uh, to make those things work. And, and I, I make that conscious choice. I make that conscious choice. Affairs. We've, uh, we've talked kind of candidly over the last couple of weeks about the dangers of affairs and how to, to create some boundaries in your life and, and in your marriage to avoid affairs, but, but affairs happen. Yep. And why is it that affairs are so destructive yeah. to a marriage? What makes that so unique to the, to the marriage covenant? I want to uh, expand a little bit, and you, and you may have talked about this. I think you and I talked about it at coffee. You know, uh, you know, Andy Stanley did a sermon series a while back where he just said, the greatest question you ever ask yourself is, is it wise? Uh, and back to this boundaries thing, you know, people don't fall into affairs. You, know, you don't wake up one morning, have a good marriage, feel badly in love with your spouse, go out that day, meet somebody at lunch, and sleep with them that night. Doesn't happen. Uh, it, it's going, it's crashing through a series of, of boundaries that we've gone past, you know, from from lingering a little too long, talking with somebody, flirting with somebody, going to lunch with somebody. Oh, there's nothing wrong with going to lunch with somebody. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to lunch. Well, you know, it, it, there's a lot of cautions, a lot of boundaries we should have around our relationship. Now, back to why it's so destructive. It, it, there are, well, there are numerous factors. When people get married, there are three universal expectations that they have. Uh, and when you think about it, expectations are a huge part of marriage. Anytime you feel disappointed in your marriage or disappointed in your spouse, it's always, always, always the result of a failed expectation. You expected them to be nice. You expected them to not be moody. You expected them to not spend money on that. You expected them to have sex. You expected whatever. It's a failed expectation. So, you know, you have to deal with those honestly and openly. But the three universal expectations that everybody gets married with is they expect that they're going to grow together with their partner. We're going to grow through life together, enjoy being together and so forth that uh, uh, it's going to last, you know, even if, I think even if you get married in Hollywood and it's your seventh or eighth marriage, you're still hoping it's going to last, uh, and that you expect your partner to be faithful to you, emotionally, physically, sexually faithful to you. So we carry that into marriage. That's one white reason it's so destructive, because that is broken. Uh, the, the, the second part is there's, we just inherently know that there's something about the sexual intimacy piece that is just different. I don't care if you know God, if you don't know God, if you don't know anything, you, we just know that that's, that's different. Uh, um, there's something in that that's, that's infinitely more personal. So, so even if you slept with somebody, 20 other people, and been married three other times, you get married, that, that all of a sudden that's a unique bond in the relationship. Uh, that if that gets, as the writer of Proverbs, Proverbs says, spilled into the streets, it's destructive. Now, the big reason is because of the covenant factor. I know Paul talked about this in a, a couple of weeks ago in one of the sermons. Uh, when we get married today, uh, well, first of all, marriage is a covenant. Malachi talks about it as a covenant. Proverbs talks about it as a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. And in God's design of a covenant, a covenant always has two parts. There's a spoken part, and then there's what we call an oath sign. It's even the origin of why we still shake hands today. It's a, it's a sign. God said, I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. It's the Noahic covenant. And then those, that was his spoken declaration. And then the oath sign was what? Rainbow. The rainbow. So, okay, God said, look, here it is. And Jonathan and David, uh, Abrahamic covenant, uh, Jesus rising from the dead, all these covenants have an oath sign. Well, in marriage, we stand up and say, bone of my bone. Well, the original one was bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. That's Adam's uh, covenant in with Eve. We stand up here and say, you know, love, honor, cherish, sickness, and health. And now we say, you know, uh, we trade rings or we say, you may now 
kiss the bride. And we think that's the sealing of the covenant. Well, that's it for the marriage ceremony, but that's not it in God's eyes. In Orthodox Jewish ceremony still today, you get married, you can get married under the hoopah in a, in a non-Orthodox ceremony that represents the bridal chamber. It's the little white tent, if you've seen some of the movies. Uh, but in traditional ceremonies, the bride and groom exchanged their vows in front of the rabbi and then walked down and went into the bridal chamber and had sex as part of the wedding ceremony. Talk about pressure. Now, yeah. I was in a hurry to yeah. get away yeah. from the reception yeah. the night yeah. I got married, but that's we a little over the top. You know, most women go, thank God we don't do that anymore. Uh, but the reason being is because that is the sealing of the covenant. That is the oath sign. That is, that is the part that ultimately makes you husband and wife. It's the oneness. It's built into the system. Make no mistake about it. The Bible talks about oneness. It is talking about sex. Uh, and it's built into the system. Paul writes in Corinthians 6, why, he doesn't say, why, my son, should you go have sex with a prostitute? He says, why should you go become one with a prostitute, taking Jesus with you? So there's a oneness factor, a sealing factor, a covenant factor built into sexual intimacy. And so when we violate that, we've taken the, the sign of the intimacy, the sign of this, this special gift that we've only shared with our spouse, and we've taken the sign of the covenant of marriage, and we've broken it. That is why it's so destructive. Uh, and, and, and again, people that don't know God from a rock know that that's true. You know, I've, I've been a counselor in one form or another for 20 years. And, and I've seen people that have lied to their spouse about, you know, gambling addictions and, and where they were last night and some issues from the past and all kinds of stuff. When, when, when it's a sexual breaking of the covenant, the destruction is far greater. Haddon Robinson, great preacher, uh, used to say this. He said, sex is like fire. Fire can perform many wonderful uses in our life. It can provide uh, you know, heat for our homes. It can cook our food. It can provide fuel. But if you let fire burn out of control, it will destroy every single thing in its path. And that's sex. It, 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 with, it has many great uses in marriage, from reproduction to the celebration of intimacy and love and passion and the recreation of the covenant and the celebration of your marriage and, and all those other pieces. But you let it burn out of control, it, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. And, and redemption is possible and healing is possible Absolutely. after that happens. Absolutely. But you know, it's going to take a while, and it's yep. going to take some work. Yep. I remember one of the things that you shared with me that, that really just has kind of stuck with me, and, and as a church, you know, it is our responsibility to, to share the good news about Jesus Christ, and as followers of Jesus, you know, we are called to be salt in this world, and we are called to be light in this world, and to be in this world, but not of this world. Uh, one of the things that you said was this. You said, one of the greatest evangelistic tools at the readiness of followers of Jesus Christ today, if we could just get marriages right, the whole world would look to us and say, how are you doing it? Right. Um, why say that? What do you mean by that? You know, as, as I said earlier, the, the, the common mentality is still that if you have a good marriage, you're either holding your breath, you've given up on, oh, the marriage is just, you know, we're just, it's just kind of you know, boring, but I have nothing better to do. Uh, or, you're, you know, you're just stuck, or, you know, the, if you have a good one, you just got lucky, all those things. We don't see that marriage is a learnable skill set, which it is. We don't see marriage, and even the passion in marriage, can be controlled by the choices that we make. Now, again, folks, I'm, I'm big on passion. That's why I wrote a sex book. Uh, but it's not a technique book. It's the idea of saying, you know what, there, 
God, God cares about passion. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of marriage therapists and authors and teachers today that are saying one of our biggest problems in marriage is that our expectations are just too high. You just lower your expectations, know he's going to leave the toilet seat up, and sex is going to be boring, you're going to be okay. And I'm going, now wait a minute. I don't think God, the, the only institution he created, thank you for laughing, by the way, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that the only institution God created before the fall of man that put his blessing on it, that he is, I'm about to say, chose to represent him, uh, I don't think that he means that to be a boring, passionless, you know, uh, bad place to be. So, so we need to raise, I think we actually need to raise our expectations of marriage, which is uh, what this question is about. Uh, the, uh, uh, the simple reality is 89% of Americans will one day be married. That's only down 2% from a 91% all-time high. So, so there hasn't been a big change in the number of people getting married. The, Age of marriage has been delayed and all of that kind of stuff, but the percentage is still very high. So you have nine out of ten people who are getting married. Virtually 100% of those people want their marriage to last. And yet 31% of the people you know right now have been divorced. 31% of the people of the age of 25 that you know have been, I don't care if they're remarried, engaged, living together on their own, 31% have been married. Uh, so, so people are looking around and going, ah, but, you know, I don't see a lot of many people that are, uh, again, happily married 25 years after, afterwards. So if we start showing people that that can be done, and it's not just a matter of luck, if the tide starts turning and people start seeing Christians really modeling uh, what a, a marriage should be, then I think they'll start knocking on our door going, tell me how that works. I mean, I mean think about it. God could have chosen any relationship he wanted to, to when he inspired the scriptures to represent his relationship with us. He could have chosen... Or, yeah, to describe this relationship. He could have chosen a king and his people. He could have chose, chosen a shepherd and his sheep. Now, he, he used those pieces, but ultimately what he used to describe his relationship with us was what? Husband and wife. So that means that our marriages should represent Christ's relationship with us. That we should take all of those one another's in the Bible. There are like 28 different one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, be patient with one another, uh, uh, sacrifice for one another, care for one another, listen to one another, encourage one another, uh, the whole bunch of them. Now, why is it that we think that those should apply to the people that live in our neighborhood or next door, but not to think they apply to the people that live within the walls of our own house? Uh, if we started modeling those things in our marriages, love, forgiveness, peace, patience, caring, all the fruits of the Spirit, and, and tenderness and, and, and compassion, then not only would we have a marriage that lasts, but we would have a marriage that was full of passion and that we would have people beating down our door to see it and, and then we'd have the chance to say, you know what? Yeah, it, our marriage is very real. We have problems, but yeah, we are madly in love because we work at it and this is where the faith kicks in. The reason I can learn to stand, to get up in the morning and not be selfish is what? Well, because Christ gives me the power to do that. Because whenever I, whenever, you know, I, I, I walk into the kitchen and the kitchen needs cleaning up or I, you know, See, this I can do or that I can do to serve my spouse, whatever it might be. And I start thinking, I don't want to do that. And the answer is, and, and if I ask myself the rhetorical question, why? The only answer is because I'm selfish and I don't want to do that. And then this great verse out of Mark 10 baps me in the head where Jesus himself said, for even the Son of Man, uh, his reference to himself as the Son of God, for even I, the Son of God, did not come to what? Be served, but to serve. So that's when God gives me the ability to say, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be nice to my spouse. I don't want to clean up. I don't want to fill in the blank. 
God gives me the power to do it. And if we started doing that in modeling Christ's relationship with us, with our spouse, as he calls us to, Ephesians 5, it is the oneness of our marriage that is to represent Christ in the church. That, that's a privilege. That's an awesome privilege that, that Christ says, if you're married, ultimately this is it. <laughs> I'm roundabout way to get here. If you're married, your marriage should represent Jesus' love for, for, for the lost and for his children. That's it. And if it did that, I promise you, people would be knocking on your door going, how does that happen? How does that happen? And so it is a huge evangelistic tool because it's going to affect a huge number of people. They want to know how it works. They want to know how it lasts uh, and, and, and so forth. You know, there's another statistic that's greatly misunderstood. Uh, George Barna, God bless him. Uh, uh, you know, there, there's his stuff that came out that said there's really no difference in the divorce rate between Christians and non-Christians. That, that's... That's a poor reading of the data as well, frankly. Uh, uh, ultimately, because ultimately if you get into all his data, he's comparing, he's using highly evangelical, uh, highly evangelical language and he's comparing apples to apples, uh, which is, in other words, he's comparing Christians to Christians instead of Christians to people that don't believe at all. What we do know, which I think is going to get into probably our next question, is that what really matters, it, it, it has a huge impact on the divorce rate, is your spiritual life together. And for whatever reason, the, 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 the number that kind of crosses it is two or more times a month. If you were involved two or more times a month in a church, in a religious activity, in a small group, in uh, all of those types of things, that is when there is a significant drop in, in, in the divorce rate. So if we begin to get that word out, we have whole churches of people where the divorce rate's dropping to 5%, 10%, uh, because they are choosing to live out their call for Christ. That's when people are going to, again, come knocking down the door. We've got a couple of minutes left, and, and I'm just trying to think about, you know, who's in our crowd. I mean, we, we have students here whose mom and dad's relationship has been tough, uh, maybe even abusive, uh, maybe even mom and dad divorced. We've, we've got singles here who are probably kicking back at times wondering, do I want this? You know, I think I do, but do I want to invite this into my life? We've got young couples who are just getting started, and uh, while maybe they wouldn't admit it, there maybe is a thought occasionally of, what have I gotten myself into? Did I make the right choice or the wrong choice? We, we've got people that are 10 years in wondering, you know, what's it going to take? Is it possible to make it 30? We probably have some people here that maybe even are days or weeks or months away from calling it quits, saying it's not worth it. You know, maybe some families that are enduring an affair. Can you leave us with some hope? I mean, where is our hope? Who's our hope? What's our hope all about? How, how is it possible that this can be good? Yep. I mean, ultimately, and this, please don't hear this as a platitude, I mean, but, but Christ is the hope. I mean, I mean, Christ is the resurrection of the dead. Christ is bringing life back from what is dead. Uh, so there, are, there, there is always hope. Um, several other connected things. If you notice a problem in your relationship, don't ignore it. One reason marriage counseling fails so greatly is because uh, most, we know from research, that the average couple who shows up at marriage counseling has, had, has, has consciously realized that there has been a problem for at least six years. You know, you know ladies, you find a lump and wait six years to go to the doctor, you may not ever make it six years. And, and there's part of the problem. Most people show up DOA. Most people show up in the marriage counselor where one person has said, that's it, I'm done. I, I, you know, there's no way you're getting me back in this. 
so don't ignore problems. Don't ignore issues. The hope lies in the fact that God gives you and I the ability to get up every morning and make a choice. One of the most misused phrases in this country is, you make me so angry. Well, you know what? You, I may not like what you do. You might be rude. You might be mean. But if I'm angry, it's mine. It's my choice. It's my response. It's my attitude. So I can get up every day and make a choice to love. I can get up every day and make a choice to clean the house, mow the yard, weed the garden. I can choose to do that. And if I choose to do that over and over and over again, then that's when love begins to, by God's design, resurrect itself. Marriage takes two types of commitment. Uh, There's this one thing we call constraint commitment. Constraint commitment is what happens when you join the military, get sent to, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, and you'd much rather be in Hawaii. Uh, Uncle Sam takes a real dim view of you just leaving. You're constrained. Speed limits are constraints. There are constraints in marriage, legal constraints, moral constraints. You're part of a faith community. There are some constraints. There are people who are, like, encouraging you to stay married. You have kids. Those are constraints. Uh, but but there are more, there's more than constraint commitment in marriage. What is needed is dedication commitment. Dedication is co- commitment is what it takes to go to college, uh, run a marathon, uh, get a black belt in martial arts, whatever it may be. It's somebody who sees the benefit of the hard work because they see the payoff at the end. Now, they suffer through sophomore literature in college because they want the college degree. My apologies to literature majors in the audience. <laughs> but they see the benefit of, of doing that. You know, the difference between a marathoner and me is, you know, if I go outside and run or, or work out, it's because it's a pretty day and I have nothing better to do. A marathoner, it's cold and rainy, and they get up and go. They do it because they're committed to the goal of, of the workout. Well, that's it. If, it's, if I'm only nice to my spouse when it's easy or when I feel like it, Marriage is going to die. But if I get up every day and make a conscious choice by God's grace and God's strength to model Christ's relationship with me through his power to love, forgive, offer peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, all the things love is from Corinthians 13, which probably got read at a lot of your weddings, then love is resurrected. We learn to swim. You know, C.S. Lewis had the great, he was just so far ahead of his time. He said, falling in love is like diving into the pond. But the goal of diving is learning to swim. Most people dive into the pond, and once the sensation of diving is over, they try to go find another pond to dive into. The goal of diving is learning to swim. We learn to swim, it's much more enjoyable. Well, that's marriage. That's what he's talking about. That if falling in love is a good thing, but now we learn to swim, and we have a much fuller enjoyment of the whole experience of the water. Well, we learn to be in love and stay in love and to keep love there. So... You know, there's no such thing as a marriage that can't be revived. There's no such thing as no matter, wh- as no matter where you are uh, of, of hope that can't be returned. Uh, another myth this culture be- believes is that we call it the once you're down, you're done myth, meaning that if you don't feel in love anymore, it's over. That's just simply not true. That's simply not true. God can redeem hearts, love, marriage, passion. Uh, he can, he does all the time, uh, but we have a part in it. We have a part in it. Tim Gardner, uh, would you give him thanks for being here with us today? Tim will be up front with us afterwards. Uh, You know, I I think the key phrase is that we don't have to do it alone. And in in John chapter 14, you know, Jesus was meeting with his disciples just before he was uh, crucified and then later would be resurrected into heaven. So he knew, or ascended into heaven, and he, so he knew he would be leaving them. And there was great anticipation and anxiety that came with that. 
And Jesus made a great promise to these men and to these women too. He said in John chapter 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. It was almost like Jesus had this great anticipation and this anxiety to tell them, you have no idea what's going to happen when I leave. Because when I leave, there is one who will come to be with you. The Holy Spirit will come and live inside of all of those who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And that was the promise to the disciples, and that's the promise to you and me. One of the words that we use for Holy Spirit, for God, is the word paraclete, and it literally means to walk alongside of. And I was reading this great analogy that this pastor wrote one time that we're going to walk through some junk in our life, and what the Holy Spirit will do is He will walk alongside of us, and He will take the dangerous side of it. Uh, if, you're, if you're walking along the ledge, he'll walk in between you and the ledge. And, and I guess my encouragement for you this morning is no matter where you are in your marriage right now, and if it's a great thing or if it's a horrible thing, I can promise you this, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and the Holy Spirit will walk alongside of you, walk with you in your marriage, and can help you get beyond or past anything that you might be facing right now. But if you're here today and you're doing it alone, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please hear this. Uh, you can make Him the Lord of your life. Uh, you can do that by surrendering your life to Him. Uh, you can put your trust in Him, and, and He will be there for you. And that doesn't mean that He'll make everything easy all of a sudden. I'm not going to promise you that, but He does promise to be there with you and to walk with you no matter what you may face. Uh, after the service this morning, we'll have some people from our response team that will be up here and we would love to talk with you about that and what a relationship with, with Jesus Christ looks like. Um, Tim, would you, would you close us out in, in sure. prayer this morning? You bet. Gracious God, you are the creator of uh, male and female. You are the creator of love, both the love of commitment and the love of passion. Uh, you are the creator of marriage. You have given us as husbands and wives the, the challenge of, of representing you on this earth. Father, I pray for the people that sit in this room that are married, that they may see that, that they may uh, be redeemed by that challenge, that they may be encouraged by that challenge to truly uh, get up tomorrow and every other day and, and live a life of love. Father, for those that have been touched in, 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 uh, by the pain and hurt of an affair, pray that you will give them the, uh, the help that they need, the grace that they need. Lead them to the right counselor, uh, the right support group, so that they may begin to find hope and healing. It's not a quick recovery, Lord, but, but again, it, it, can be, uh, it can be redeemed. Father, for those that, that have kind of neglected their marriage, for those that have children, Father God, I, I pray that you would give us all a, 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 you know, a kick in the tail to, to realize how important it is to our children uh, to, to learn to love and to, to model love and forgiveness in our marriage. Father, a marital breakup can be so absolutely destructive to children. Uh, and, and may we, as, a, as a, a legacy and a gift to our own, our own kids, uh, live this out. Father, for those that are single, I pray for you to, uh, uh, to, to give them uh, encouragement and hope uh, to wait for the right person to, uh, to keep themselves sexually uh, pure for that, uh, for that time. Uh, Father, I pray for all of us that we may have the right boundaries that we need, uh, that you uh, uh, be that strong, uh, loud voice in our ear to keep us uh, off of the pathway that, that leads to death. You know, Proverbs is so clear. 
that it's the foolish man who wanders down this path to the adulteress's home because it, he, it, he does not even know it's taken him to his grave. Uh, so, Father, be that voice in our heads. Be that voice in our ears. G- give us the sense of, of hope and, and knowledge that we can act and make choices that will lead us back to a passionate, wonderful love that will change the world, that will change the communities in which we live, that will change the lives of our kids, change the lives of our neighbors, Father, and will ultimately change us. Thank you for the absolute blessing and privilege it is to be here, the blessing and privilege it is to represent you upon this earth. Uh, God, give us grace, give us love, help us realize that we, by your perfect design, have given us the ability to make a choice. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.